0: you have the cameras on, that would be amazing. The idea of Seichel, which is a point that we began so many weeks ago, exploring this interaction between what we called Teva and the Ma'alumina Teva, the natu- the natural and the supernatural. And this thought process evolved into recognition that both those aspects are not only present in the external world, the natural being the normal course of events upon which the world runs, from the natural world to the business world to the emotional world, that's all within the realms of the natural. The supernatural is anything which goes above and beyond and transcends those normal cause and effect correlations, and that's in the external world. So a miracle breaks the cause and effect. Trees normally stay rooted in the soil. A tree flies into the air. That will be considered supernatural. The relationship between natural and supernatural we also described, not as being two systems in competition with one another, but one coherent system with different time periods to which different processes of patterning evolve. When the Jews need to leave Egypt, so then the normal nature of water is shifted to become from a liquid to a solid. Not that there's anything different from water as a solid to a liquid, other than that the time required it to be changed. But even when water is a liquid, it's only a liquid because the same power that made into a solid is making it into liquid. And therefore, there's no essential differentiation between the presence of Hashem in nature to the presence of Hashem in supernature. One, however, is um, is obvious because it's exceptional, and one is hidden because it's expected. Another way of differentiating between these two points is one is called Midas Hadin, and the other is called Midas Arachmin. The expected cause and effect of the world as it runs in almost an unabbreviated, consistent fashion is called Midas Hadin, because the rules are cut and dried, and they are so consistent in their functioning that there's almost no room for apprehension. The exception to the rule is called Midas because Midas is the part that overrides the normative behavioral process of the world. And what evokes the transition from Midas HaRachamim, to Midas harachamim is dependent on a variety of factors. Rabbi Ruben pointed out, One of the factors which allows the graduation from Midas Hadin to Midas Arachmin is the conscious awareness of that the Bora Olam is manifest in nature. And when I take that to to its nth degree and with a fastidious attitude, I obey Hashem's will through the world of nature, I then have the right to transcend and to touch on the miraculous and the supernatural. Another pathway to this intersection between nature and supernature, is the power of prayer. The actual prayer is referred to in the Gemara consistently as Rachme. In other words, the nature of prayer is the power that allows the Teva to stop working for a higher order to become manifest. And it, of course, as the Altar of Kelm put out, reinforces, reinforces the notion that Teva is always open to suspension because it's manifest the will of Hashem. So really what tefillah does is tells us that, yes, according to the laws of nature or according to Hashem's strict judgment, this is the way things need to be. Tefillah is the beginning of a relationship, just like the person that appeals to the, um, the, the, the person standing behind the luggage counter to give him an extra few kilos without charging for it. It requires a relationship, it requires a certain connection of mercy and care. Tfila initiates the relationship between me and Hashem in a personal, intimate fashion. Yes, Boya Olam, we say to Hashem, we know that things are meant to run in this order. We know that the reason why I have this paranossal problem or Khalilah, this health, health problem, is because that's the natural cause and effect that Melissa um prescribes. But Boya Olam, please allow me to overcome that no- normal cause and effect. And allow me in your mercy to be able to see you manifest in an open fashion. As Rabbi Ucham pointed out, the p- point of the pr- prayer is to initiate the relationship. And the goal is not to get what you want, but to see Hashem more openly in your life. The award of what you are seeking is not now that you've, the p- purpose of prayer was to get that result, but the purpose of prayer was to initiate the connection. And when you happen to get What you ask for, that connection is cemented in an open fashion that you can actually see Hashem's presence. We have a distorted version of prayer. We look at prayer as a way of getting what I need. And therefore, ironically, the award of getting our prayers answered completely sabotages the goal of the relationship. As expressed in the famous parking lot joke that you all know, but we'll be saying it again. On this Sunday morning, man goes looking for a parking lot because urgent be- business meeting. Um, okay, where do you want to? Where do you want to? Um, you want to go to this business meeting, and you've got a, you've got a a pressing, important need to be there and you arrive at the place marginally late, you can still make it, but the problem is there's no parking. And you call to the borer olam saying, I know according to the laws of nature, there's no parking available, but please, Tati, you can make anything happen. I recognize you control all. Please can I find a parking lot at the point you finish those words, the parking lot that opens up and you reply to Hashem, don't worry, Tati, I found one myself. In other words, that's the, that's the paradox and that's a parody of how we can sometimes misapproach prayer. Tfila is that once I would in that marshal, get the parking lot, then I would say, not only did I know that you have the power to control the world, but now I've seen it with my own two eyes. I feel closer to you. This is amazing. And therefore that cements the relationship. That's a brief summary of where we are up to right now. On Thursday, we took a brave new step to a whole new dimension of Seichel. Um, Just a question from from Trent, who asks: should we expect Hashem to change nature based on our prayer? So I think the word expect is a strong word, because we we can't have any expectations. Because, in other words, another problem of prayer is the perception that the question is that we also understand that Hashem is looking out for us. And even if our life is fraught with difficulty and pain, we still understand that Hashem is looking out for us. So really, one of the fundamental questions asked in prayer is, well, why are we praying? Don't we have faith that Hashem is giving us is good? So the answer to that question is the same as we said before. The point of prayer is to engage us in a conversation. Now, in that conversation, the result may be that we get what we man- want, Or it may be that we don't get what we want. In other words, in any conversation, any request, there's two answers. The one is yes and that one is no. The accompanying faith of prayer is that even the answer no is the best answer for me. In other words, it's a whole new way of understanding prayer. We normally think the goal of prayer is to get what I want. And therefore, when I don't get what I want, my prayer has failed. But in this model, in this paradigm, the goal of prayer is to engage in an intimate conversation. Want to engage in the conversation, so then the answer will be either yes or no. Because since the point is the conversation and not the result, so then I'm open to either yes or no. If the answer is yes, so then I see with my own two eyes Hashem present in my life, which is the clouds are moved away. If the answer is no, it remains foggy. But either point is a point of prayer. I suppose that's much more, it's a much more real way of a relationship as well, because... Um, it shows that there's something to the relationship and it's not just like a slot machine that you put in the right, the, the right amount and then the result that you want came out. Because that would imply that there's no other person with his own perspective that you have to move towards and engage in and deal with. And therefore, this is a much more mature version of prayer. And of course, the answer to the question is, well, um, if Hashem wants us to have something, He'd give it to us, wouldn't He? The answer is, for sure He would but he wants to hear a voice, he wants to engage, he wants to negotiate. It's interesting that actually the Ramchal uses the expression of negotiation to describe prayer. He speaks about prayer as being a massa or mata, which implies that actually the process of prayer does involve some kind of negotiation process. Obviously, every negotiation process begins with two parties that share common goals. And that's why there's discussions whether you can negotiate with terrorists. But when you're negotiating with someone, essentially you want the same goals, but you're both coming from different perspectives and you have to sort out the details. So when I'm going to the burlam, if it's a negotiation, it means him and I have the same goals. Now, how would I approach that? Let's say, for example, I need pernossa and uh, I haven't got it. So now, if I go to the Burialam, I say, this is a Burialam, I need pernossa. And he, I imagine his reply to me will tell me why you need it. So he'll reply back to me and he'll say, I'll, I'll reply back to him and I'll say, well, you know, the truth is, I just feel like I could have a more comfortable lifestyle. I feel that I could have better couches. I feel that I could redecorate my house so I could subsume, uh, so I could, sorry, submerge myself in materialism and become more um, dislocated from 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 those things which make me close to you. So James says, "Okay, well, no. <laughs> I mean, the whole point is why i engaged, so that's not a good thing. But if I go to Mr. and I'm really not doing well, I need, I need your help. So he says, well, why do you need my help? I say, well, I really, you know, I'm here for you and you're here for me. So listen to this, if I don't have enough money, I can't continue doing the stuff I need to do. I need to help out people. Now right now I give X amount to stock up, and without the money, I'm not able to take care of those people. Now you and I both want those people to take care of, right? So listen, I know you can do it without me, but I would like to be the agent for that. Please really give me the pronostic to do that. I would like to be the agent to make my house because I want to welcome guests into my house and I want them to feel warm and I want them to feel a place that is pleasant for them to be in. I want to be able to have the capacity to, to have the peace of mind to function in my filler. And then we negotiate because now we're on the same page. Um, and now we just have another question from Trent who's like really kind of typing out the questions today doing a fantastic job of Spitting them out at a spitfire rate. But if I'm dumbly for someone six, says Trent, I can't be conscious in the moment that I'm only doing it to boil our relations. I'm doing it to try to do what I can to save the person. Is it in that moment of consciousness of the goal is required or reflective conscious of the main purpose of prayer? So um, let's talk about this way because I think that's a great example. I'm praying for someone and now. I've got two components. There's actually two relationships I'm dealing with simultaneously. I'm dealing with the relationship that I have towards a person. I'm feeling his pain. I'm feeling his his troubles. And I'm also dealing with my relationship with Hashem. But the truth is, in the world of prayer, in the world of prayer and negotiation, oh my gosh, look at this. The chat opens up and now there's just no stopping it. Thanks, Trent. You're a real kind of trailblaze, aren't you? So in um in in that world, let's think how the kind of negotiation process processes work. I go to the burial and say, Tati, my friend is sick. Now, I know as much as I care and feel pain for him, you feel even more pain. And therefore, we need to do something. Let us not allow him. You have all the Rahmanis in the world. The only reason I have Rahman is because you are the Baal HaRachman who have given to me. But Tati, you can't let this happen any longer. Please allow yourself. In your merciful being to become manifest in his healing and in his cure. And then me and Hashem are in this process together. Sort of like Hashem's kind of got a different agenda, and I've got a different agenda. No, it's a negotiation. We always have to be sharing the same agenda. So before you open up your mouth and pray, you have to think, is that my agenda? Now, obviously, that's gonna knock out certain prayers. For example, if you are praying, and I'm not saying this is Dafka, but I'm just giving an example. If you're praying for your football team, and if you're American, you know what that means. And if you're English, you know what that means. And it can be two different games, but football fits both. So if you're praying for your football team, then you have to ask yourself, does the Boyer Odom want this team to win? Now, the answer may be yes. The answer may be no. Or the answer may be, the Boyer Odom doesn't want you to pray for a football team. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm just saying that that should be your consciousness entering into the program. Now, I've got some time to read this chat. Jacob Janowski is shouting out, why would you have to verbalize and explain your intentions to Hashem to know them? Answer! Because that's how you build a relationship. We build a relationship through words. That's why people are called medagrin. That's how we make ourselves understood and thought. And if we want to make a relationship with Hashem the real, that's how we do it. Like we build every other relationship in the world. Great answer to Jacob Tanovsky's question. Now from Adam Yisrael. How does the notion of pair itself is already the answer because it creates the connection to Hashem? As in, i'm one operates with the consciousness any answer from then okay just a bonus so to speak that is absolutely correct that prayer itself is the solution the solution is to engage in an ongoing intimate relationship with hashem the answer is not always there just like relating to another person i have many expectations of people very often my expectations are disappointed so what do I do? I cut the relationship? No, I recognize that's what the relationship is about. Obviously, the reason my expectation of disappointed is because there's something about the other that I'm not fully aware of. In the case of Hashem, it's obviously that the other, who is all-knowing, all-kind, and all-caring, doesn't feel that this thing is right for me at this point in time. That requires enormous amounts of faith, especially when the person is in a very compromised position. But that's what life is all about. Good. So that's where we got to until now with a brief um, segue into the power of prayer, something we've mentioned before, but certainly clarified and went into more depth right now. Moving on to our next topic, which we began on Thursday, and welcoming Rabbi Vram Godzinski into the room, the great, great Mashgirch in Slabotka who perished at the hands of the foes in the, I think it was the Kovna Ghetto. He died of disease. He didn't die a die of, he uh, wasn't executed, but obviously the conditions facilitated that. And he brings us to the awareness of a whole new dimension to what we've been speaking about until now, which is the role of the Seichu in our life. When we turned the lens inwards to discover that these two platforms of nature and above nature, Teva and the Malimia Teva, are reflected in us as well. The idea of Teva, which is the will of Hashem manifest in our day-to-day life is reflected in our ability to reason, to understand, to deduce and to compare and thereby extrapolate from the situations that confront us in our day-to-day life and derive principles of behavior accordingly. I know how I should go out into the sun and how much sunscreen I should bring. I should, I should choose my shoes carefully based on my understanding of the um, motor coordination of my hips, knees, and joints. I should stretch in a way which allows the muscles to elongate and not overstretch, which causes a stretch stretch reaction, which then makes the muscles shorter. In other words, in order for me to live in the world, I have to obey the rules of the world, which are manifest, the rules of Hashem. How do I know what those rules are? I have a mini house sinai inserted into my head, which tells me the rules, because that can derive the rules of normal behavior and those are an expectation of me. If I break those rules, I'm breaking the will of Hashem. This gives a whole new perspective of what it means to live in the world of nature and cause of effect. I have to go get a job to make money. If I don't, I'm breaking the rules of nature. Now, you'll say to me, but what about Tzaddikim that would walk along the streets of Jerusalem and there were such people? And to get their money, they would simply pick up gold coins, which would randomly fall from nowhere, and that would be sufficient for them. So, those people have successfully transcended the world of nature, and they now have been given the privilege to live above nature. But for the majority of us, we actually try to skip the stage of nature and go to the world of supernature, which is bred not from a graduation, but from a laziness to get what we want before we deserve it. The process of transcending nature requires finding Hashem in the nitty-gritty details of life first. Once you recognize Hashem is manifest in the visible, perceivable cause and effect, then you're given permission to recognize, well, if that's true, now we can graduate. And those, that's, that's hard work, and that takes a lot of a lot of time and effort. And therefore, until we get there, we become, need to be obedient to the midas The tzaddikim that could, walk around and find coins on the floor, they were living already in the world of Midas rachmin where midasadin was suspended for them in its normal sense. So that's the one aspect internally of finding the world of nature inside of ourselves. Seichel. The, Rabbi brings a whole new dimension. Until now, we are really talking about most explicitly the world of nature in terms of its practical and technical uh, impact on us, the world of business in terms of understanding that my job, my job qualifications will be a necessary, necessary, necessary um, requirement to get the job. If I'm not qualified and I say, I'm going to go for this job and Hashem's is going to help me, I'm disobeying the laws of nature. It could be if I manage to transcend the laws of nature, through developing an intimacy over to repair, he may override the laws of nature in that particular aspect, which is a huge departure from the norm, but that's not the way I should operate in a a, a, um, general state of affairs. I need someone on that level. In a general state of affairs, I have to obey Hashem, and if the rules of the job require these prerequisites, I have to come to the interview with those prerequisites. If I don't come to the interview with those prerequisites, I'm disobeying the will of Hashem that's decided that the the world of business should work that way. And I derive that from my seichel. Now, Rev. Ram Gryzinski says, but there's a whole deeper component of the seichel. Even long before we get to Torah, and this, of course, gives us a whole new aspect of Torah. There's a part of the seichel which is an intuition of not only true and false, but also right and wrong. Perhaps this is what the world, because this is something which is a legacy of every human being. In the words of Nissen God, in his introduction to Brochus, he says that this is a legacy of humanity from its inception, that we were given a gift. The gift we were given is the intuitive capacity to differentiate between ultimate right and wrong. We have, as part of our genes, a ethical component which abhors distortion of justice, and praises truth and value. Now, this becomes interesting when we reflect on the modern world and even if we take a view through history. Because there definitely seem to be periods of time that this law is broken consistently. But let's just try to play around with this internal moral thing. What came to mind when I was thinking over this idea, which still needs to explore, which essentially means that humanity as a whole has an internal guide that steers them on the path of truth. And all a person needs to do, this is long before we need to, Torah goes one step beyond this, as you'll soon see, but every single human being in this world, if they listen to that internal voice, has a moral compass with which they can navigate life. Now I want to start to speak this out because it'd be interesting to see if this is like um, visible in our current lives. I remember visiting Yad Vashem and there's a quote from Hitler in that's highlighted. And it's a famous quote. I think it's from Mein Kampf where Hitler says the Jews inflicted two wounds onto humanity. One on the soul and one on the body. On the soul, they inflicted the wound of conscious, conscience and on the body, the wound of circumcision. Now, those words coming from that evil mouth are extremely insightful because when we think about the idea of conscience, it seems to be a global perspective of life even if we look at now the recent response to the coronavirus, where there's a universal applaud of um, caregivers around the world. I've seen this in multiple forums and platforms, that people are saying thank you to their caregivers. What does that mean about humanity? Well, it means that we appreciate self-sacrifice. If we would be not conditioned to have a higher moral sense we would critique the health workers for putting their lives in danger to save others. It would, be a, it would be a sign of disdain and disgust for compromising your own personal advantage for the sake of others. Yet around the world, those people are being applauded. And now let's focus on that power to applaud means a sense of gratitude. If it would be worth living in a world where the only thing which is our concern is my own personal survival, why would we demonstrate gratitude towards others, which is not directly benefiting me in my own personal life? So even the world itself, we see these, these little um, impressions of a higher force that exists within us as human beings. And the ir- irony is when we, we're not actually bound to that, in other words, we for sure can distort it, as we saw from Hitler and himself. He tried to squash that. He accused the Jews of being there to awaken it. But it gives us a new sense of what our mission is. Our mission of Jews isn't to teach the world Torah, but to teach the world this moral concept that they have, which is before Torah. That is the the wound of conscience. And by us behaving in a way which we'll soon see is far beyond that. It causes the world as a whole to be awakened to their own falling, perhaps in their moral connection to their conscience. And when you see that, it's so obvious because when you see massive human um, abuse, there's generally a response in the world, which is quite unanimous. And even though the people who are the perpetrators of the abuse, they may even need to justify themselves by describing why it's not abuse. If we imagine a world where we'd all be, totally evil internally with no moral sense so then countries that performed atrocities would be either ignored or applauded. The fact that there's a reticence towards them and that countries that behave in an immorally incorrect way or boycott etc and even those that don't boycott them know that there's something demonstrates that we have implanted within us an access to a higher moral code, a deep source of internal divinity that is amazing and that's also Seichel. and that's also once we've connected that point not even beginning to just to give you a taste of what 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 the, what the what is going to say in other words he's going to contrast us with the, 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 the sin of stoim stoim and amira. the navi points out as we said before that the critique on them wasn't that they were Wrong, but they didn't extend kindness to others. And we asked ourselves, would that not be implicit in the human makeup? They couldn't have been held responsible for that aberration. So we see two things from story. We see how people can become so distorted that they can lose the connection to themselves. And we see, and they're responsible for it, which means they should know better. Because had they not been able to know better, they couldn't have been overturned in some kind of unjust punishment for something that they never knew they were doing wrong. Which means, even those people, the perpetrators of the deepest evils, if you prick their conscience enough, they will, in a moment of re- reflection, say, I did bad. I did bad. That was wrong. So, these are interesting ideas, interesting ideas to use as a lens to view history, certainly to view as a lens to view our world, but more importantly, to view as a lens to view ourselves. Because if we recognize inside of us that there's this incredible, pristine source of deep, deep wisdom, And accessing that wisdom is really the prerequisite for the study of Torah. We've got a lot of work to do. Torah is, once you've got to that wisdom, we're then given Torah Maha Sinai, which was a super, super natural power of comprehension that our own implanted seichel could never reach. And that's going to be a whole discussion in its own right. I look forward to continuing this discussion. Tomorrow twelve thirty same place same time. Thank you for tuning into Musar at twelve thirty. Any questions before we terminate this meeting? Well, then I'd like to